I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. As always, I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. And uh, we, we had a great text come in uh, as we were going through some of the political debate uh, issues. And, uh, of course, the uh, the most common used phrase, and I think the most popular mean, is something of a hot mess in a dumpster fire in a train wreck. And uh, one of our texters uh, on our Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line reminded me that uh, in a dumpster fire, at least the garbage is gone when you're done. <laughs> so we'll give him a little bum ching and uh, a good text there coming in. Uh, and that le- really leads to our discussion because uh, there are serious discussions to be had. There are crucial conversations that need to take place in our communities, in our homes, in our country. And very interesting, last week, uh, not even thinking about the debate, uh, ha- Came across some some information and uh, some great uh, videos and writing from our, our good friend Joseph Grinning from the Other Side Academy, uh, and these are some things he's done for uh, Vital Smarts, and they were all around. You know, how do you take a stand on a social I- issue without picking a fight? You know, how can you really engage in a uh, respectful way and disagree on political issues? And uh, so I invited Joseph to come on today, and uh, really looking forward to this conversation. And then he has a new piece in the Harvard Business Review. Uh, titled The Three Things You Should Bring to a Political Conversation. So that is where we're going to start today. So, Joseph, thanks for joining us. Well, it's good to be with you, I think. Uh, what a day. Y- yeah. Uh, the, the day after, I think, is the uh, the exhaustion. And uh, as I went through it, obviously, there's uh, lots of things to, to look at. Uh, I, I described it not by what it was because that was just impossible. So I described all the things that it wasn't. Uh, online, and I, I think that's an issue. But I, I want to get into the the heart and soul of this. This is something you have spent so much of your career helping individuals, leaders, and organizations as a whole work through tough conversations. And, and I love that you're applying it now to a space that many of us have just accepted uh, as impossible to deal with or that we've just completely disconnected with because we can't stand the stress that it brings into our lives. So what should we bring to a political conversation? Yeah, well, well first of all, we need to realize when we're in a crucial conversation, they, there, there are these moments that, that are moments of punctuation in our relationships. And how we show up, how we behave disproportionately affects the future of the relationship, the level of trust and intimacy, whether we have contact with others or not. And so I think so many people today are terrified about having political conversations because they worry that that crucial conversation will go badly and they lose a relationship or they offend somebody. And whatever disingenuous kind of uh, connection that they had before, even that will be lost. And so I, I think if, if we start recognizing that we have two tasks to do in a conversation like this, 
we'll, we'll do better. The first is we need to think about how to organize our thought and express our opinion. But the second is we need to make space for the other person. We have both tasks. It's not a conversation. It's a monologue unless we recognize we have those simultaneous responsibilities. Oh, that's great and so important that you do. You have to create space for both of those things. Uh, some people kind of go the other extreme and just kind of abdicate everything, and that's that becomes a monologue coming from the other side. Uh, but you've also got to create space in your head and your heart uh, to invite that other person in so they can feel heard as well. You do, and yeah, we, we found in our research that as long as the other party feels safe, They'll allow you a lot of latitude to express even really strong opinions. So those are the two variables you have to manage, the psychological safety of the other person, of the context that you're in, but also the, the way you're expressing yourself. And if you, if you keep your eye on both of those, you, you can be incredibly honest, incredibly direct, incredibly clear about your point of view. And, and still be able to have it lead to a healthy conversation. Yeah. And, and I want to ask you about that because it seems, and again, whether this is in a personal relationship, whether this is purely political conversation, uh, it seems to me that we often get into this mode where we either hunker down and avoid it all, uh, or we kind of swing wildly at whatever's in front of us. <laughs> how, do, how do we get past those two extremes? I think that's especially challenging in political conversations because, honestly, most of us, and I'm going to include myself here, most of us, our most cherished beliefs are tribal, not thoughtful. We, we really haven't thought through carefully the premises of our thoughts, the evidence that we have. We haven't sought out potentially contradictory evidence. We really kind of assimilate views from the people that we, that we socialize with. And so when we get into a situation with somebody who has polar opposite views, it feels threatening to us. And it need not. If we recognize that that threatening feeling that we have is just an invitation to humility, mm. an invitation to recognize that maybe we haven't arrived at ultimate truth. Maybe we should, shouldn't act so certain about this this idea that we're expressing. If, if we can recognize that signal, that panicky feeling we have inside as an invitation to humility rather than a threat from the other person, we're much more likely to show up with some curiosity and humility, which which generally generates a healthy conversation. Yeah, I love that. The curiosity, I think, is, is sends such a, a great message and, and I think creates space for so many different conversations. Uh, when you talk to someone who's genuinely curious of either what you think or why you think that way or how you got to that conclusion, uh, that's a much different conversation than just uh, you know talking and shouting uh, talking points at each other. Oh, and, it's, and it's so powerful. I mean, if everybody realized how powerful curiosity is in reducing defensiveness and in inviting connection, we'd be practicing it all the time. It's the one virtue that you only have to practice to pass. If you just come into a conversation practicing curiosity, just asking questions, truly inquiring, and it doesn't mean that you're surrendering your point of view. All it means is you're setting it aside for a moment to take on a really fascinating task, and that is exploring the world of the other person. So if you put yourself into a mode of curiosity and ask questions, try to understand the evidence they have or the life experience they have and how it leads them to this conclusion and this position and feeling they've got, first of all, you almost inevitably emerge with a feeling of respect and reverence for the other person, even if you don't, uh, don't agree with them. Mm. You almost inevitably end up saying, I get it. I get it. I can see how your world has integrity in it. And the second thing that tends to happen is the other person almost involuntarily starts to starts to catch the curiosity virus too. 
they start to feel just because human beings are wild with this obligation towards reciprocity, they feel like they need to do the same. Say, well, what do you think about that? And why do you think how you feel? And, and, and it leads to just a natural dialogue. It doesn't take a lot of technique. It just takes a little bit of curiosity. Mm, I love that. I think between the curiosity and the humility, uh, you mentioned that manifesting itself in that respect and, and reverence for others. Uh, and, I, and I do think that curiosity is, is one that uh, you, you can learn to push on it. Uh, but I think a lot of times we make just very shallow attempts at asking questions. And I think there's a difference between just asking kind of the typical question as opposed to really being curious and getting into a different space. Yeah, yeah, I, I think there's sort of a continuum of curiosity. If it starts at perfunctory, which is, okay, I have to ask you a couple of questions to feign interest. Right, right. And then I'm really waiting for the space for my view. The, the next level up is interrogation, and it's really me asking questions to try to find the holes in your argument so that I can now find a way <laughs> to, to undermine your point of view. Yeah, yeah. Not, not that you would or I would ever do that. <laughs> never, never, never. And then the, yeah, but what, once we once we own to the fact that we're guilty of those two, hopefully we can kind of emerge. We we can we can rise to the level of genuine curiosity, which again is just setting aside all of the the certainty I've got in my head for a moment, not surrendering it, mm. just just parking it because yeah. you get to pick it up when you're done, and then taking off on this fascinating task of exploring somebody else's world. I, I've had times where I've done the disingenuous stuff. I've had times where I've done the genuine stuff. And, uh, and boy, the, the latter really enriches my life. Yeah, so good. Joseph Grenny, always appreciate your insight. I always learn something uh, every time you join us. We'll have you back again real soon. Uh, and also just love and appreciate the work you're doing there at the Other Side Academy. Everybody should check that out. Uh, and, of course, all of your content there on vitalsmarts.com. Just some really vital skills for our time. Thanks again for joining us, Joseph. You bet. Yeah, if anybody wants a few of these kind of tips, just Google, how do I say that at vitalsmarts? And uh, there's some wonderful uh, free material out there. Good to talk with you, boy. Hey, fantastic. Thanks so much. Joseph Granny joining us there. We'll step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk winners and losers coming out of the debate. Find out who they are and a surprising thing that we need to do next. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.